Well, good morning, church. If you would please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We are continuing with our series on the one and others of the New Testament, uh, making Christ visible. And, and this morning, as we consider this one another, I think it is the foremost uh, one another that we can walk out to, to make Christ really discernibly visible to people in our lives, to us, to the church, to the ones that we walk with, as well as to those who are looking on, uh, they're looking to our lives to see, is this really true? Is this really God? So this morning, if you look at Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Remember, we went through that one a few weeks ago. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, we ask that you would please give us your spirit's illumination, that we would rehearse your forgiveness and, and have your, the power of your forgiveness refresh our souls, that this morning we would have an understanding of what you have done for us and how we are to display that and experience it in our everyday lives, especially with those that we're walking with in the church. So, Lord, uh, this is your word. We ask for your word to be fruitful in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some people can hold some serious grudges. You may know somebody that is like that. This past week, I came across, in preparation for the message, I came across a true story. Mary Carr, uh, an author, told this story in her book about her relatives. They argued, they got into an argument over the price paid for sugar. And just, you know, like married couples, things get tense. You know, talk for a little while. They ended up not talking for 40 years. Somewhere along that line, the husband took a chainsaw and physically cut his house in half and moved each half to opposite sides of the property. And they lived on opposite sides of the property, not talking to each other for 40 years. Now, that's crazy. But, you know, we... We might think that's, ex that's extreme, but here's the reality. We hold grudges in our minds and our hearts that look just like that. We might think, oh, man, that's really extreme. That's, we chuckle, we laugh about it, but we're more like that, I think, than we want to admit. We could laugh at the absurdity of something like this, but we have to really investigate, Lord, is this, is this part of my experience? Am I... Have I, have I cut somebody off in my life be, and just pushed them to the boundaries so I don't have to deal with it? You know, we, we get really weird when we're wronged. If you ever pay attention to yourself, when you've been wronged and you're feeling that wrong, you've been sinned against, maybe you, you know you have been sinned. We get really weird. We, we avoid people. We avoid locations. Our faces contort when we're thinking about it. We get these weird looks on our face. They, they transform. Uh, you know when people, some people walk around and they're just angry scowl constantly. 
that's strange. But it's part of, we notice that. It's like, <laughs> avoid that person there because they're a little angry. But here's what happens in us, how we get weird. We become obsessed with being right, and we crave validation. We crave vindication. To where we, we rehearse things in our minds over and over and over again, and we, we mount how we're right, and we, we, we know if we just had another conversation, we could be able to explain, and the other person would understand how we are right. Our minds can be very loud, but we use silence to punish those who have wronged us. But here's the thing. The other person who has wronged you probably doesn't realize that they've wronged you. Just ask your husbands. They don't have any idea how they've ever wronged a wife. But the wife is so annoyed. How could you not know why I'm mad at you? That's doubly offensive. That's doubly hurting. But look, when, 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 we, when we harbor grudges and we harbor unforgiveness, we think we're punishing the other person. Really, all we're doing is punishing ourselves. Grudges are not tools that help us get even, like our, our feelings want to convince us. They're just actually the fruit of unforgiveness. And unforgiveness, I heard this said years ago, unforgiveness is like eating a poison pill, hoping somebody else dies. And that bitterness grows in us, and the anger stirs, and we're taking this poison in, and we're thinking we're justified, but all we're doing is destroying ourselves, waiting for somebody else to be destroyed. The command for the church to forgive one another is a purifying and sustaining health mechanism for the church. But understand that forgiveness, it gets us face to face with the mission of Jesus on the earth. Forgiveness puts us at the foot of the cross aware of our great depravity and our inability to bridge the chasm our sins have made between God and us. When we forgive as God has forgiven us, we are most like Jesus that moment. So this morning, we will rehearse the glory of God's forgiveness. So we have vision to practice the forgiveness we have received. Those are our, our guiding principles as we walk through this. We want to rehearse, we want to practice what we received. So let's rehearse. This is, this is where we, uh, we remind ourselves of the old, old story. Even though it's old, it's still powerful. And, and as we rehearse the gospel, as we rehearse forgiveness, let it be a fresh waterfall on our souls. Let it be a, a freshness that captures our hearts to convince us that God really has forgiven our sins and set us in union with Christ to where we can have freedom and resurrection life. But forgiveness is what God planned. Listen to this. God is the, God's the only being that is justified in his anger towards sin. We have sinned against him. He's the only one that can say, I'm right, you're wrong. We can't say that. We like to. We like to convince ourselves that we're in the right and the other person's in the wrong. His righteousness would have been vindicated had he simply judged Adam and Eve at the moment of their sin, and they died, and he started over. He'd have been justified in doing that. But he didn't start over. God didn't have a plan B when Adam and Eve sinned because plan A had not been nullified. Plan A was still in effect. 
You see, God's plan was to reveal his love to his creation that turned their backs on him. That's his plan. That's his plan A. The mystery of how a holy and righteous God would love proud and selfish humanity is what fills the pages of the Bible. Most specifically, the Old Testament. As we see, we see scriptures and we, we see a God who is too pure and too righteous, too holy to even look at sin. But in his righteousness, he cannot overlook sin. He can't ignore it and just move on. His righteous response to sin is rejection and wrath. God is right in his rejection of those who are sinful and proud and turn their back and, and put their fists to God. But God is also pure, just as he is so pure in his holiness, he is also so pure in his love for his creation. In his love for his creation, he is drawn to the cry of the broken and the downcast. And we see, reading my, my personal time in the Word this week, reading through Exodus again, and God coming to Moses and saying, the cry of my people has risen to me. God is inclined to the cries of his people. We see that all over the Psalms. So we have a holy God, we have a loving God. John Stott calls this the problem of forgiveness. How will a holy God, who has to respond to sin in righteousness and glory and wrath, in righteous, furious wrath, but also maintain his love for his creation? God put himself in a predicament that was his plan A. In the cross, see, we see the solution of as Jesus' mission to go to the cross is revealed in the Gospels. In the cross, God vindicates His holiness by judging sin with separation and death. He rejects, He puts the punishment for sin, but He also, in the cross, God proves His love by offering His Son as the worthy sacrifice for sin in order to save us. Through the cross, those who repent of their sins and trust Christ for salvation are forgiven. Forgiveness is the effect, it's the feeling, it's the understanding, the tangible evidence of our redemption and justification. So how does God respond to sin? Once, you know, the Old Testament, remember, all of God's people are saved by faith. In the Old Testament, they're trusting that a Messiah will come. In the New Testament, we're, we've trusted that he has come. So we're all trusting in the same sacrifice that will do away with all sacrifices. But God in his love puts himself as the sacrifice to take the separation, rejection, and wrath that we so rightfully deserve to set us free to experience his love. See, he's holy and he's loving. This holy love that God has displays itself gloriously in the cross. But there's, there's these promises that show up in the Old Testament. <clears throat> the promises of how God's able to still be holy, but also... Uh, be around a sinful, have a sinful, proud people be around him in his presence without utterly rejecting them through annihilation. But look at Psalm 103, a few verses out of this psalm. Bless the Lord, this is King David writing this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Verse 10 of Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins. 
nor repay us according to our iniquities. What glory. What Now, King David's able to say that because he sees the sacrificial system of the, the tabernacle, then the temple, that God is able to say. When, when everybody brought their sacrifice, they were saying, God, I trust that the punishment for my sin is being taken out on this animal right now, so you will not kill me, and I can still remain in your presence. And God was saying, yes, I, this this, your sin has been transferred onto this animal and, and payment has been delayed because ultimately Jesus would be that sacrifice to do away with all sin. Now look back to Psalm 103, 4, as high. This is how God, this is how God interacts with our sins. He does not deal with us according, according to our sins, repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's glorious too, church. When God interacts with us, he doesn't have a list of our sins on the wall in his office right next to us when he's talking with us. He doesn't remind us and repay us for all of those sins. He has removed that sin from us as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Infinity. I heard somebody say one time that uh, if, you go, if you go north-south on the globe, if you go north long enough, you'll eventually be going south. But if you go east-west, if you go east, you never go west. You keep on going around the equator. You keep on going, keep on going. That's how God deals with our sins. In his forgiveness, he removes it. He doesn't repay us. He removes it from us because of our trust in Christ. He removes it from us forever. Now, the glory of God is seen in, in this forgiveness. We serve a loving and humble God, and he is able to be this way toward, and that's part of the wonders. How is, how is God able to be this way with his redeemed? It's because Jesus took our punishment so God doesn't have anything left over for us to bear. Jesus took our full penalty. He took our full punishment to where there's no more penalty for sin remaining. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, I believe he understood in that moment that the payment for the sin of the redeemed, the payment was finished. It was over. He took every drop from the cup of God's wrath. He drank it all. He drank it dry. The writer of Hebrews says as much. Hebrews 10. Two verses out of <clears throat> Hebrews 10. And by that will, we have been sac sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now that's once for all sins. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being uh, sanctified. God, God in Christ, Jesus pays the penalty and his sins <clears throat> have paid for all the, all the sin that we have done and it's paid for all the sin that we will do. Even though we are striving, we don't want to sin. We want to be pure and blameless before the Lord and before one another. We know in the brokenness of our bodies in this world, we will sin. And God says in that moment, that sin has been paid for as well. He took the penalty for our sin. He took our penalty. Think about that. He did this so we would know his love and he would bring us into union with him forever. 
Look at the promise that he made in Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Why will they all know me? This is why, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. That forgiveness removes the dividing wall that sin has created between us and God. It bridges the chasm together so our union and fellowship with God is restored. The union and fellowship that that Adam and Eve turned their backs on when they sinned. It's been restored and God says it will be that way forever and that knowledge is an experiential knowledge. It's a mental knowledge but it's also a feeling knowledge. We know the Lord. We sense His presence. We understand His greatness. Why has this happened? Because he forgives our sins. And he, he promises, I will remember their sin no more. We've heard the response, forgive and forget. Now, I, I think a lot of times we try, and this is where we put things and wrongs that have happened to us. We try to stuff them back in some weird closet in our minds to never open up again. But you know what? It never really produces the healing that we desire. Because I think we're forgetting the wrong way. We're not forgetting in the way that God forgets. Because he says, he, 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 essentially, I'll forget your sins. God's promise not to remember, his promise to forget, was his commitment to not punish sin that has been put on Christ already. He's not going to make us pay for that sin when Christ paid for that sin, when Jesus himself bore all of it and said, it is finished. When we trust Christ, we have the assurance and we have the pleasure and we have the understanding that he has taken every ounce of that punishment. Now, forgetting sin is, it's not failing to call it to mind. God's not sitting there going, I, I don't remember when you sinned against me. That would actually be weird if we thought God did that. Because no, God is omniscient. He needs to know. When he recalls, he's not recalling it to destroy us. Now, there might be a moment where we remember our past sins. But understand that that is for us to be humbled by them. Humbled by the forgiveness we've received. Not to, not to cower under the wrath and the destruction of, of God's judgment that we would have faced had we not trusted Christ. So Jesus, <clears throat> when he takes our sin, God says, I will remember their sins no more. I will not punish you for your sins ever. But this matters for us because in our own personal lives, and this is where the command to forgive one another comes in to the church, we punish each other when we're sinned against. And we're punishing each other for the sin that Jesus has already drank the full, the full cup of God's wrath for. And these are the things, we put ourselves in this weird position of God and we say, well, God may have forgiven you, but I don't know if I can. Because we're determining in that moment, I don't know if you have paid sufficiently for this sin. Wait a minute, if God's not making us pay, why are we making one another pay? This is, what's, this is, this is showing up in our marriages, this is showing up in our parenting, this is showing up in relationships within the church. It shows up everywhere and we have to be aware, how, how am I in practicing forgiveness, am I trying to make somebody else pay when Jesus has already paid for it? 
So we practice forgiveness first by understanding the choice that forgiveness is. If we wait for the feeling to forgive, we'll be waiting forever. We never feel like forgiving, do we? Now, we usually say, I'm not ready. I don't know if I'm ready to forgive right now. Wait a minute. If God's already forgiven it, and that person has repented to the Lord, who are we to say then that we think, no, I, I, I think I need to wait a little longer, and I need, to, I need to make sure you're really sorry. What is that word for? What, what's the verbiage? It's describing, I want to make sure you've paid for this sin enough. We're in dangerous ground when we do that. We decide to forgive in order to preserve relationship with God and with one another. Look at Matthew 6, 12, when, when the disciples came to Jesus asking, how, teach us how to pray. We see you praying. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus gave them a poem, as, essentially, to guide the prayers. And he, one of those points is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we harbor grudges, when we harbor unforgiveness, we are we are wrecking our fellowship with God and we're wrecking our fellowship with one another. There's no place that we're able to say, God, forgive me, but I'm going to wait to forgive somebody else in my life. That's not forgiving as God forgave you. We should always be ready to forgive. When we're not ready, we could be too focused on our vindication or some type of payback. Our readiness to forgive is because of our response to God's forgiveness toward us. He's ready to forgive, and we experience that. He didn't wait for us. Look, God didn't wait for us to figure out how we sinned against him. He just came to us, and he came to us a man, and he came with forgiveness. We are to forgive even before we are asked for it. Look there, I've read some brilliant theologians that have uh, and counselors that, that they've come out and said that forgiveness, and they, have, they make a good argument in some verses and uh, some passages within the, the Gospels that Jesus talked about forgiveness. They said that you need to be ready, but you don't have to extend forgiveness until it's asked for. That's the only time that you give forgiveness. And as I looked through that, I thought, I don't know. I, I keep on coming back to God didn't wait for me to ask before he sent his son to die for my sins. I've heard, I've heard people say, you know, Jesus didn't ask if I, if I wanted him to die for my sins. No, because in our sin and pride, we are not going to ask because we think we can have a solution a better way. We love performance, so we're going to say, God, let me just perform for you. There's no reason for Jesus to die. That's so bloody and gruesome. That's, that doesn't make sense. Let me just perform for you. That's where man will always end up. But God says the performance is not the currency to pay the debt. It's like trying to buy a house with Monopoly money. I've got millions of dollars. The bank says, we don't recognize that. That's play money. Our performance is play money when it comes to serving and loving God. We have to trust him. Faith is the currency. Faith in what Christ has done for us. But this doesn't mean also, you know, we, so I believe we are to forgive even before we're asked, but it doesn't mean that we use manipulation, that we use this as a manipulation tool to like prove how holy we are. Like, you know what? 
you don't know you've sinned against me, but I forgive you. No, that's, that's counterproductive, and that sabotages the work of, re- of restoration and reconciliation that God wants to bring. But, you know, we have to recognize first that all sin is toward God, ultimately. When somebody sins against us, it's because their relationship with God is, is not right. They've sinned against God first. We're the collateral damage. So the sin against us, when I'm angry and sharp with my family and I've sinned against my, my, my wife or my children because I've just had an irritated tone, it's because I'm not trusting God in that moment. It's because I want something right now. So I've sinned against God and the collateral damage is those that are near me. There may come a time when we need to communicate our forgiveness towards somebody who hasn't asked for it. But we're ready because we recognize that sin is toward God. Now, there needs to be wisdom applied in how we go about doing that. We, we want to let God do a work in the heart, but there are some times when if somebody doesn't know that they've sinned, there needs to be first, we have passages, Matthew 18, that says, look, if your brother is in sin, go to him. Have a conversation. It's not a formula. It's in the, it's in the life of how we're living to get toward one another and toward Christ. We just have a conversation. And we give grace for that. We give grace. Hey, I don't know if you're having a bad day or what, but when this happened, felt weird, believe you sinned against me in that way. There's, there's a way to humbly go about doing that. Even as married spouses, can, there's a humble way for spouses to be able to say, I think you've sinned against me. Not as a manipulation tool to try to get the other person to admit something, but you know, we don't want to go throwing around forgiveness like, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And we have to be able to understand what's God doing in that moment and how we're playing a part to further what he's doing. There may, become, there may come a time because of our own personal healing that we from deep wounds that have occurred in our past. There may, and we need wisdom for this. There may come a time where you communicate, you know what, uh, we, it was bad. And there was sin on both parts. And I want to ask your forgiveness, and I want you to know I've forgiven you. But when there's a victimization that's occurred where you really didn't have anything to do with it, there's abuse that's happened, and that, that there's no, you didn't ask for that abuse There needs to be wisdom applied to be able to say, I need to communicate some forgiveness because I need to complete the healing work that God's done in my own heart. Ask questions of of wise believers before you do that. That can be in concert uh, with pastoral leadership, leadership within the church to say, okay, what would be wise in order to provide the healing that needs to happen uh, in this situation? You know, sadly, um, you probably heard the Celebration Church campus on the West Bank. The campus pastor from the West Bank across the lake was helping uh, change a tire to a lady who had uh, broken down the West Bank Expressway, and a car came over and drove them over, knocked them over the West Bank Expressway. They fell to the ground, and he died. Uh, Two days later, a couple of the other campus pastors, I think it was around Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, Thursday, a couple of the campus pastors went to the, the the lockup and shared the gospel with the man who was driving and killed them, killed the pastor. That's offering forgiveness when somebody's not asking for it, but you know going through mental anguish, trying to figure out how can I live with myself now. 
there's a, there's a readiness to forgive. There's a readiness to not hold grudges. There's a readiness not to punish sin that Jesus took upon himself and paid the penalty for. Because remember, Jesus took the penalty of somebody's sin against us. And it is wrong for us to be looking to punish them again for what Jesus has paid in full. Now, there are times when restitution is appropriate. But we are to not demand restitution. Restitution, we see this picture uh, with the example of Zacchaeus. He's up, that's the guy that was up in the sycamore tree. Jesus passed by. Hey, I'm going to have lunch at your house today. Gladly brings him over, serves him, has lunch. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, so he's hated by his own people because he's collecting money from them and giving it to Rome. They don't like him. They don't think their money should go to Rome. And they sound very American. They want to keep all their money. Go to the temple. Let me just give it there to God. It's God's money. In his interaction, his experience with Jesus, he says this, I will repay. And, and tax collectors were notorious for uh, overcharging and keeping the overage. He said, I'm going to pay back. Anybody that I've defrauded, I'm going to pay them back fivefold. Pay them back. That's restitution. Now understand, God brings about the heart for the restitution. We are not to be in a position to demand restitution. As Jesus also says, if somebody asks for your cloak, if they ask, if they ask you to walk a few steps, go a mile. Ask to borrow a cloak, give them that, give them whatever they need. And don't expect anything in return. That's part of the readiness component, even in forgiveness. I, I, and when we forgive somebody, we are suffering a wrong, and it gives us an understanding of what Jesus went through on the cross in order for us to identify with Christ, to display Christ. But restitution is not to be demanded. The goal of forgiveness is restoration. We long for restoration of relationships so we can enjoy the freedom it brings about. We want to be free from anger. We want to be free from bitterness. We want to strive for spiritual and emotional healing so we can move on in our lives without the ankle weights of unforgiveness. We, we get used to those ankle weights and we think it's just part of life that we just drudge through. And it's, it's hard to walk out the Christian life. It could be because there's you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart it really needs to go before the Lord and we also want to we want to look to give grace to the guilty because we have to trust the Holy Spirit's doing his work of conviction we trust that we try to ignore his conviction but he's still doing it you know Psalm 32 David says King David says that his bones started wasting away when he tried to cover his sin the Holy Spirit's doing a work and we have to trust the work that he's doing but also when it gets we have to give grace to those that have sinned against us. But understanding, we, we go to God first. We understand his forgiveness to put it in practice. So let's end on receiving forgiveness. We want the freedom that forgiveness brings, but we have to receive forgiveness. We have to receive forgiveness from God. You know, we, we deny God's forgiveness by holding our sin before him as unforgivable. God, I just, I, I don't know how you can forgive this. This is just so bad. If I was you, God, I wouldn't forgive me. We're really, we're not giving ground to go there in our relationship with the Lord. Remember, the unpardonable sin against, is against the Holy Spirit, not us. So we don't, hold, we don't hold our sin before God as unpardonable, unforgivable. 
that's a weird performance mentality that we think we have to take on the punishment. Don't take Jesus' punishment from him. Trust that he has taken the punishment. Now, we've heard, uh, and, and there's, people have tried to describe what has to happen with the acceptance in our own soul with God's forgiveness as forgiving ourselves. That's a weird way to say that because we really aren't given the authority to forgive ourselves. It's, but what is that try, that's trying to describe a peace and a faith level inside me that says, even though there's been a lot of collateral damage, I really do believe that Jesus took the penalty for this sin. So I don't have to beat myself over it. I, I beat myself up over it. And I don't have to make everybody around me feel that I'm taking this punishment that Jesus very rightfully and lovingly absorbed upon himself. So we receive forgiveness from God. We, we, by faith, accept, Jesus, I really do believe you paid for all of this. But we also receive forgiveness from others. We need to ask for forgiveness when we know we've sinned against someone. And that's going back to when we say confess your sins to one another. We need to do that. We need to be upfront and humble, slaying our pride, saying, I have sinned against you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? But when somebody has wronged us, we want to receive, uh, uh, we have wronged somebody, we say, will you forgive me? We want to receive that forgiveness from them as well. We receive from God, we receive from others. And this is, we don't want to hold our sin in front of others as, this is just too bad, this is, I mean, I'm so worthless and I'm a miserable person, I'm such an idiot, you can't, I know you're offering forgiveness, but no, I can't do that. And that's our pride still, thinking that we have this sin that Jesus can't even overcome. That's a lack of faith. And we need to trust that Jesus really did take that punishment. We don't want to take the punishment back from Jesus because it paralyzes us. When we expect others to be punished, it paralyzes the relationship. We we, we, we want ourselves to be punished more because of our sin. It paralyzes us spiritually. We don't hear this as license to ignore sin either. We don't want to be hyper aware of our sins to where we, we can't receive forgiveness from others because we just know we're going to sin again. And it's just, uh, we don't swing the pendulum in the other direction and just say, well, I'm just not going to pay attention to my sin. Whatever happens, happens. No, we, we, walk by, we walk by the light the Holy Spirit provides. And we're aware of that. But Jesus said, we need to forgive from the heart. Matthew 18, the passage, this is, verse 35 is the last verse of the passage, where Jesus describes the, the servant who goes before his master, he owed his master what would be equivalent to $7 million today. And he pleaded with him, please, please, please have mercy on me. Don't send me to jail. The master said, all right, I have mercy on you. And that master absorbed the penalty for that sin. That's $7 million, a lot of money. The servant goes out, goes to a guy that owed him 35 bucks and was unmerciful and said, give it to me now or else I'll make you pay. He made him pay by sending him to jail. You're going to be punished for this. Master found him and said, hold on a second. I didn't repay you according to your sins, but you turned around and went out and repaid somebody else, not with mercy, but with judgment. 
judgment that wasn't yours. You, you needed to be humbled by the mercy you received and show that mercy. When Jesus comes, verse 35, so oh, he, the master then takes the servant puts him in jail until he paid the penalty, which kind of like, how do you pay a penalty in jail? But Jesus said, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Serious, weighty words, church. So when we take this command to forgive, forgive one another, it's from a heart posture that says, one, the work of God and the mercy of God has been received and felt in me, in my heart. So I'm able to express it with those that are in my life that wrong me. Look, we're going to be wrong. We're going to be sinned against. And we need to be ready to forgive. We need to be ready to forgive in order to have, uh, to choose that, in order to have a, 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 a restoration, a reconciliation that preserves the work of God's glory in his church. And look, possibly you're aware, and the Holy Spirit's made you aware of, of unforgiveness that you have been harboring from past hurts. You might be justified in saying, I was sinned against completely. Yeah, you might be justified in that. But here's where Jesus wants you to be. Are you ready to forgive? Is there enough effect of God's forgiveness on your own soul that you're able to look at others and say, how can I not extend what I've received? When God's forgiveness becomes big enough and we feel it greater enough in us than somebody else's sin, that's when we're postured to say, of course I forgive you. No matter what the penalty is. No matter what I have to absorb, whether it's lost money. It could be the, the loss of that relationship. The loss of, of the relationship just, you know, friends, things happen. You know, Paul and Barnabas had a serious disagreement. They separate. We're never told that they partnered together in ministry again. That's I don't know what that was, but there was, there, I'm sure there was forgiveness on both parts. But forgiveness and extending that doesn't mean that every single relationship comes back the same way it was. We're open to, Lord, you're doing things in seasons, and we want to make sure that that is carried through, and we're obedient in the seasons that God's bringing us through. Readiness. Forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven Lord, thank you for the the treasure and the truthfulness of your word. Thank you for the glory of forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that we experience your forgiveness uh, and and the the weight of the glory and the weight of your sacrifice for us in taking every single every penalty for every single one of our sins upon Jesus. You placed it upon him. Jesus, you took it so we would never have to bear it ourselves. Help us to understand that those that we love in the church, you've done the exact same thing for them. And may it posture us to give grace to the guilty, grace to those that have wronged us because we know you have you have paid for that sin and, and there's no penalty left over and, and may we see each other as with a, a banner over one another just saying paid in full so the love that we experience with you is felt with one another be exalted Jesus. be exalted